over the last several Sundays, we've been looking at eschatology. It's the study of last things. Uh, and for two weeks in a row, we considered the second coming. The first week, we talked about some general terms that relate to the second coming. We'll use those and find them again this morning in one single passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. But eventually, we said that we made four statements about the second coming. It will be personal. Jesus will come himself. It will be visible. It will be sudden and unexpected, and it will be glorious. Those simple things we can say about the second coming. Last week, we talked about the timing of his coming according to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And this week, we're going to look at the same topic from Paul's perspective, and we're going to be looking at one particular passage of Scripture. Uh, remember, three weeks ago, we, we considered these three important terms that are related to the second coming, and those terms are, and they were Greek words, and they're also English words that correspond to them, parousia, epiphany, and apocalypsis. Those are words that describe our Lord's coming, and, and today we're going to see all three of those words in the same passage of Scripture. Now, the reason I pointed those words out to you because there's some who say that all three of those words refer to different events, but Paul uses them all in this passage of Scripture to refer to the same event. So today uh, we're going to also see another expression used to uh, that Paul uh, equals to the second coming, and he calls it the day of the Lord, and we'll examine that a little more closely. But our text today, as we talk about the last days of the last days, is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And when you look at it immediately, you'll think this is not at all about the second coming because Paul introduces us to another character uh, who's going to appear on the world scene. He's often referred to as the Antichrist. Paul does not use that term for him here, but that's who he's talking about when we come to 2 Thessalonians. And so when we come to 2 Thessalonians, we're looking at events that will happen just prior to our Lord's coming. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to go back and ask some questions about the, the whole passage of Scripture. So let's look at, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, all those verses, but first we look at verse 1. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. Now look at that one verse. And in that verse, we see the first word that we considered a couple of weeks ago called parousia. It's the, it refers to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a word that means basically coming, arrival, or presence. So, But that word is there in verse 1. Our gathering together to him is no doubt a reference to what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, when, beginning in verse 13, when he said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice, voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, that's what he's referring to, our gathering together to him. Now, it's important that you understand that there are two terms here that Paul uses interchangeably, and you're going to find it, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again, 
And we're looking at this word parousia, the coming of our Lord, and also we're looking at another term or another phrase he calls the day of the Lord, verses 1 and 2. So let me just read them together. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, and he lists three things not to be disturbed by, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now obviously Paul considered the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to be the day of the Lord. And I'm going to illustrate that to you by looking at several different passages of Scripture that show you that the New Testament is consistent in this. The first passage is Romans chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul talks about the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The day. He calls it the day. And then in Romans 2.16, he says, The day, the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he refers to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, some of you will know that in the church at Corinth, there was a person who was so sinful that Paul said, what, what I've decided to do is to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This same time, Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 as the day of redemption. And he calls, you remember, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to the day of resurrection as, or in Romans, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, the resurrection of the body, he refers to as the redemption of the body in Romans chapter 8. And then three times in Philippians, Paul refers to that day that we all stand before the Lord as the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2, Paul says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In 2 Peter, now we're referring to Peter, in chapter 3 of, chapter, of 2 Peter, Peter calls it in one chapter, the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people, the day of the Lord and the day of God in the same chapter. And this is the day of which Paul speaks in verse 2. This is the day of our Lord's coming. In other words, this is not going to be a day that escapes your notice. We said, we've clearly shown in the scripture that there's no verse of scripture that says there will be a secret coming. We've tried to establish that. Also, Paul cautions against three methods by which you might be deceived. He said, first, there might be a spirit. He said, there might be in some service, some, someone who makes an utterance. And, some, and they say, I have a spiritual revelation that such and such. And by the way, for those of you who want to look up a little history, the whole idea of a secret coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was never taught in Christian history until 1820 in the church of a man named Edwin Irvin in London who later became a charismatic Catholic, uh, an apostolic Catholic. And uh, uh, there was a group of Christians meeting there. They were having a conference and there was an utterance that this was the case. This was the true teaching of scripture and that was adopted. There were significant 
people who did not accept that who were at that meeting, and one of them was an interesting character you might know by the name of George Mueller. So it's interesting to know a little bit of Christian history and the interpretation of some of these passages of Scripture. So he said there might be a spirit, an utterance that says, the day of the Lord has come and gone. And he said also, he said you might hear it in a sermon. There might be a message. And he said it might even be that there's some letter that's purportedly from me that I've said this. He said, don't pay any attention to it. Don't believe it. And then he begins to outline the day of our Lord's coming. Now we're going to read verse 3 all the way through verse 11. Now, Paul's main concern here is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although, he introduces us to this interesting character, and we're going to talk about this character as we go through this passage of Scripture. Verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, what's he talking about? It will not come the day of the Lord. The parousia, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And here Paul this is one of the things that you need to see in verse 5. As Paul is sharing this in his letter, he refers to another body of teaching that we don't have. He refers to messages that he delivered while he was with this group of people in, in Thessalonica. He says in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and apparently he expounded on it to some degree. We don't have all the details, but he says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time, this man of sin, this man of lawlessness will be revealed. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then... That lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now I want to answer a series of questions you might have about this passage of Scripture. And in answering those questions, perhaps we'll have a better understanding of the timeline of our Lord's coming. The first question is this, what is the apostasy. In your Bible, depending on the translation, it might read the rebellion. It means a rebellion against God. In the Amplified Bible, it reads the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians. This is a great turning away from the Christian faith. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here. Could that be some kind of cultural phenomenon that makes it 
unpopular to be a follower of Christ? I'm just asking that. We saw during COVID when people trusted government regulation more than they trusted God, and it appears that some of those who fell away from the church then are still waiting for the government to tell them it's okay to come back to church because they haven't come back to church yet. But this apostasy is not falling away from the church. It's turning one's back on Christ altogether. And you will notice it does not say a falling away. It is the falling away. It is not an apostasy. It is the apostasy. So prior to our Lord's return, there is no promise of some massive spiritual awakening, but rather a time of great spiritual rebellion against God. Are you watching the news? Do you see what's happening in our society? I'm asking the question. I'm not making any statement. I just raised the question because I think we have to ask it. Could, could this be the beginning of the time of which Paul speaks? Listen to what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, about the last days of the last days. Paul said, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure uh, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And in those verses, he's talking about the last days of the last days. What is the apostasy? It is a great rebellion against God, against Christ. Second question, who is the man of lawlessness? Now, in answering this question, we're not concerned with his identity, giving him a name or anything like that. We're concerned with his character. The Greek word translated here, lawlessness, means contempt and violation of the law, iniquity and wickedness. In this verse, he's also called the son of destruction, and the word destruction uh, means the, the destruction that results in the loss of eternal life, uh, ending in eternal misery. Uh, perdition means the lot of those excluded from the kingdom of God. And it's the same word, by the way, the word perdition or destruction, this word used of this man is the same word you find in John 3.16, exactly the same. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believeth in him should not perish. That's it. That's the word. Perish. The son of the one, the son of perishing. The son of that's what it means. It means eternal separation from God, eternal destruction. Two men share this title in the scripture. One was Judas. The other is this man of lawlessness, as if to say they were apart from all other men, uniquely born for that purpose. In verse 8, he's called the lawless one. In other words, he stands separate and apart from all others and likely will rise out of this great rebellion because this rebellion is an apostasy against God. He may be a person who was once noted as being a follower of Christ, which would give his own rebellious authority a heightened Notoriety, some high-profile Christian leader that we don't know about, or perhaps we do, who suddenly turns his back on God and leads other people 
to do so. Well, we don't know about all that, but the Bible does tell us this, how that we can know who this man is and what will be the extent of his powers. So how will we know? This is the next question. Now there's one word that's used three times of this person that we need to look at very carefully. It's found first in verse 3. That same word is found again in verse 6. It's found again in verse 8. It's the word revealed. Now what I'm about to say to you is very important. You remember we looked at three words that refer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of those words are used in reference to the coming of the man of sin. One of them is here. It's the word revealed, and each time it is the word apocalypsis, the same word that talks about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ or his unveiling. So this man of lawlessness has his own apocalypsis, his revelation, his unveiling. This implies that it will be a supernatural event a supernatural unveiling. He will be revealed. And in verse 9, there's another term that's identical to the term that describes the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it talks about the coming of the man of sin, it uses the term parousia, his coming, his parousia. Our Lord's parousia, his coming, the coming of the man of sin. So this clearly refers to some supernatural event that will precede the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So be careful that you don't mistake one supernatural event that is false from another that's genuine. So this man of lawlessness will come. He will be supernaturally unveiled in the midst of or on the heels of this apostasy. He'll be known by his character. In verse 4, Paul says, He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Now this reminds us of another character in the Bible called Lucifer. You ever heard of Lucifer? Lucifer is the devil, right? Well, where do we find the, the word Lucifer in the Bible? We only find it once. It's in the King James Version, but it's, that's where the word is found. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. Let me read it to you from the King James Version. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning! How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. So this man of sin will have the character of the devil. He will come as the son of the devil, so to speak. And his coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. The Amplified Bible reads, in verse 9, the coming of the Antichrist, the lawless one, is through the activity of Satan, attended with great power, all kinds of counterfeit miracles and deceptive signs and false wonders. In other words, all of these will be lies. So if you're listening to this message, whoever you are, it ought to trouble you. This speaks of a time that is coming, and we're in a world, honestly, that seems to be ripe for such an event so that it could happen in our lifetime. Not only does he work miracles and deceptive signs, and by the way, you'll remember the miracles of Christ attested to who he was, the truth of who he was, and the miracles of the Antichrist may well point to lies, lies about God, lies about the Bible, and lies about Christ. And so I just ask, are you ready for that? 
In verse 4, it says he takes his seat in the temple of God. That doesn't mean the building itself. The word, the Greek word used is the word always used for the holy place or the holy of holies. So he's not just going to walk into the outside of the temple and say, hey, here I am, I'm God. He's going to go into the very holy of holies. That's the picture here. Uh, and so we don't have the, all the details about that, but that's what Paul tells us. And he reminds the Thessalonians of these things because he said, you remember this was part of my preaching when I was there. I was telling you that. So the next question is this, who will be subject to his deception? Because you might be concerned about this. Will true believers be deceived by the Antichrist, by this person that Paul talks about? No, no. Who will be deceived? What about nominal Christians? What do we say when we talk about nominal Christians? Who are they? Well, they're people who came to church, but they were not genuine followers of Christ. They sang the songs and they were acquainted with some of the scripture, but they really didn't know the Lord. They will be deceived along with an unbelieving world. Paul says in verse 10, not only will this person come with all power and signs and false wonders, there will be a convicting spirit that accompanies his work. Let me read from the uh, Amplified Bible. It says, uh, there will be a spirit that brings unlimited seduction to evil with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing because they did not welcome the love of the truth or of the gospel so as to be saved. They were, in other words, they were spiritually blind and rejected the truth that would have saved them. This is a supernatural seduction. This is the convicting power of an unholy spirit. Now, if you think you have nothing to worry about, let me read you what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Because this is something that's been going on and been taking shape for a long time. You understand, we're working toward the last days of the last days. That's where we're headed. And just as God has a plan and program in place, the devil has his own plan and program in place. And he's been working on this event for a long, long time. The Lord tells us about it because he knows the devil's strategy. He's always a step ahead of the devil, but he's alerting you to the devil's strategy and the devil's plan. In Ephesians 2, 2, Paul said, there is a spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul wrote that to the Ephesians. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul wrote, now the spirit expressly says, the Holy Spirit, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And here in verse 7, Paul said, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In, in the New Testament, this word mystery means something that has to be revealed before someone can understand it. There's a power and a plan at work behind the scenes, unknown perhaps, even to those in places of power helping to bring it to fruition. Is that what we see in our world today? John wrote in 1 John, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists. That's why we know that it's the last time. John said the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. So something supernatural 
is taking shape that has been at work for a long time. And at the right moment, the lawless one, Paul says, will be revealed, unveiled. But in verse 7, hear what Paul says. This is critical, and, and it's critical for, for you to be true to your Bible. And this is where some of you will have some difficulty, and to your Bible alone. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, what? here's the next question. What now restrains his coming? Not our Lord's coming, but the coming, the parousia, the apocalypsis, the revelation of the man of lawlessness. What does the Bible say restrains his coming? The Bible does not say. The Bible does not say. Now, don't, tell, don't read me a note in your Bible. I don't like notes in Bibles. I like to let the Bible speak for itself. And the Bible does not speak here. On who this is or what this is, it does not say. Some interpret this dogmatically as the Holy Spirit and then go on to build their system and their interpretation. But this is not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that anywhere else in all the Scripture. That's an educated guess, and maybe not too educated, on some on the teaching of the Bible. What restrains His power? The power of lawlessness. Well, obviously the sovereignty of God is in control of that. The sovereignty of God is the one who's going to say where there, whatever it is, there will be a day come when that, when that restraining will be removed. Some interpret this that it's the power of law itself, and this is lawlessness. When law will be removed and restraint will be removed, whatever it is, then the lawless one will be revealed, but it's something designated by God. God is sovereign over this moment in history. But let me read you from Matthew. And last week I told you that the Matthew 4, verses 4 through 14, give a sweeping overview of history from that moment that Jesus spoke until the end time. Because he said in verse 14, then the end will come. Let me just read you verses 9 through 12. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and shall kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. Now, remember how Paul began. He began by assuring them that the day of the Lord had not come. And then he outlines the fact of when it will come. He said, it will not come until the apostasy comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the, and the man of sin himself will be destroyed by the Lord, by the epiphany, the use of the words, the Greek words, by the epiphany of his parousia, by the brightness or by the appearing in glory of his coming. So we've established, and what I've tried to establish for you is what the Bible says. There's one second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's not what fits everyone's system. A coming for which you need to be ready. And Paul says, I'm telling you about this so that you not be shaken or lose your composure about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and our gathering together unto him. And it's reminiscent, that verse is, of the verses we read earlier. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, which Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. Four times in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, in the eleventh chapter of the Gospel of John, when Jesus told Martha about Lazarus, your brother will rise again. She said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Here we read it. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. According to the scripture, many wonderful things will happen on that day, that day, the day of the Lord, among them the destruction of the man of lawlessness. We don't understand all of these things, and we could go on and on forever trying to go into the details and all the different explanations, your explanation, my explanation, but understand this, most important of all, is that you be ready. You be ready. Let's pray.